Welcome to Cloud Insiders, the podcast that brings cloud down to earth. So today I'm joined by Craig Whelan, who is a project manager in the Extrovert team. Um, thanks for joining me. We're going to talk about successful and effective project management, specifically related to cloud. How does that sound? Sounds good. Yeah, I think... Uh... Successful is a good choice of words, and I think cloud brings its own challenges in itself. So I think it's a good subject. All right. Well, let's start with project management, as you would define it, and then let's apply it to, to cloud. Certainly. So traditional project management is the day-to-day -day activities, if you take the role of a project manager, in guiding a delivery team to provide products to a user base, and an organization, a business, or function with a very clear, hopefully, defined objective in terms of business capability or uh, go-to-market strategy, if you will. So there's, there's a very clear remit in a project. Okay. And when you apply that to cloud, do the wheels fall off? Not necessarily. It's a much more difficult thing to define because, first of all, you have to get over, obviously, the what is cloud and what does it mean to you. Um, I think we're all very much aligned internally that we've got this consumption model very much an automated type thing, and we're moving towards this software-defined approach in terms of IT and a function. And how you apply project management practices to achieving that is where the challenge starts to sort of really become apparent because we're not talking about traditional infrastructure anymore. We've got this software element. It's not just linear, next, 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 install, and, oh, wow, I've got this architecture, and I can go and do something with it. You've got this added bit at the end, uh, this development, this customization cycle that is lost. Very difficult conversation because it's unquantified. Until you start really teasing out the ins and outs of what you want to achieve or how you want that vending system, if you will, that uh, self-service proposition to be exposed from that platform. And so what's, what's the PM or the project manager's role in that project and then specifically in that, that final software piece? So with, with respect to cloud itself, I think as a project manager with skills and appreciation for cloud, exposing those discussions from the outset because they help you define your requirements. You might not need those requirements until later in the project, but let's have those discussions and they can be run parallel with the right teams to understand who's going to be using that, what users need to be brought in, how you're going to test it, what kind of development cycles are going to be required to get day zero operations off the ground, day one, day two, and so on and so forth. There's a, a very close and distinct bridge now with what was termed BAU, and it's being sucked into this project so um, the cycle. Usual. You're, because you're developing things where service management is not being run automatically by principles and processes and approval processes. And effectively, that's what cloud's about. So as a project manager, you need to be aware of that and you then need to start leveraging your skills in the traditional waterfall methods, very linear, A to B, and the agile approaches in terms of iterative development and what that looks like, not just software development, but apply that to the customization. So we talk about dashboarding, who wants to see what, how do they want to see it, and how do you get that? There's millions of metrics in your software-defined data center now, so who do you speak to? Well, that's one aspect. Well, what about the integration to all of those systems you've already paid for and got and get value from? They need to be plugged in somewhere. It doesn't just happen overnight. So there's a lot more conversation going on. And that's challenging for a customer because it means time. Mm. And it's the one thing we all have got very little of 
when it comes to getting something done. So the sooner you can lay those conversations out and at least acknowledge they exist, it makes job as a project manager a lot easier. Uh, I think it helps the team in its entire respect as well because everybody knows what part they've got to play in order to achieve, it goes back to standard principles, what you're delivering, what products you're delivering to achieve business objectives, which sure. is the simple premise of project management. Sure, sure. So if you were to walk me through what a project might look like for, say, I run a, uh, an IT shop and a uh, mid-sized organization, how would that begin? So firstly, in terms of cloud, we let's have a look at your service model as it currently stands. So you may be running a service management type uh, organization in terms of IT function. You run a call queue, an issue queue, standard request and fulfillment practice. Relatively normal for mid-sized businesses and certainly the enterprise. Let's try and map that in parallel to some other activity, which I'll discuss shortly, to how you're going to find that once you've built your platform. Because ultimately that's what software defines about. You're going to consume those services, but it's now going to be driven by a portal. It's going to be approved in a manner that doesn't necessarily reflect what you're doing now. So you have to go through as a business, as an IT function, strip all that out put it all back together in that platform. We talk about the platform, but obviously as a project manager in that respect, you've got to build it. So there's a parallel activity in that respect. That's the traditional linear approach. We've got a bunch of tools and we can kind of identify which ones we need based on those discussions of the end requirement. Do we need a monitoring solution? Do we need orchestration? Are we interacting with third-party tools that already exist? What other third-party tools do we need to play in? Additional models of architecture need to be played in, plugged in, but it's not just a case of next install for those. They have their own ways and means of plugging in as well. So you've got this end-to-end A to B, and then you've got this stretch of iterative stuff at the end, like I say. So let's focus on that piece now. So we've, we've started off, we've laid out exactly what we have, what we think we need to achieve. Mm-hmm. We've got some requirements. We've taken some time out of our, um, our busy days to put that together got some experts in projects now delivered, if you like, and we're now into the, the final software phase. Mm-hmm. So what does good look like there? That's an interesting one. Good is about achieving what you currently do or better than. Um, so helping define what that looks like to the outset is, 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 a, is a start. If you're looking to save time and money as a business, you've got a very good idea then in doing what you do now, measure it. Build the systems in place put the automation together, the orchestration, do the same thing. If you measure those two metrics, just as an example, that helps you define that you've succeeded in what good looks like. You can then maybe put a benchmark against, I want to be 100% faster. Very risky to put quantifiable stats against that kind of thing, but at least it gives you a a goal, if you will. Mm, A benchmark. A benchmark, indeed. Not always achievable. And customer requirements change. I think that's the other thing. Software development in itself, because it's iterative, things can change more than they would in a traditional infrastructure deployment. Somebody wants something new. Those things come with extended timelines more often than not. So touching on that, how do you deal with the inevitable scope um, creep that comes with the changeable nature of software as a project progresses through its life? For me, a key fundamental in project management and good project management is about that communication. So if, let's say, for example, we identify the three core stakeholders in a project being the business, the user, and the supplier, and we put ourselves in the supplier role, 
the user and the business ultimately own those requirements. Well, if they want something extra, let's sit down with them, let's quantify it, let's talk about the very detailed nature of what that may involve. We can then put a cost to it, a time cost and a possible financial cost. They then have the decision and the empowerment. Do they want to achieve that objective with that kind of detail or do we scale it down? Or, as the case may be, well, that was a lot quicker or it could be a lot quicker than what we ever anticipated. Can we bolt on some more? Very rare that (laughs) that discussion happens, but at least you've given the option. Mm. That communication flow is absolutely key. And then you refer back to standard project management uh, practices you know, writing your requirements, coming back with, you know, the commercial coverage and so on and so forth, which I think are all very well established in the industry and, and in project management on the whole. I think the key thing there is that I'm not doing anything overly special, but I'm doing it with consideration of context in that we are dealing with IT systems. They are complex. They've got a very niche set of technical skills to deliver those. I think when you walk into a project with that in mind, whether you understand it entirely, and let's be honest, I don't, not to the nth degree, and that's why I've got specialists. They can have a conversation with me. We can all have a conversation with the user and the business. We will achieve the goals. And as long as we communicate effectively, everybody will be informed and therefore makes the right decisions, or should I say the decisions they can make at the time with the information they've got, and know that they're driving towards those objectives. It's going to take longer? Well, it takes longer. But if you don't want it to take longer shorten the requirements list and we can deliver upon that. Quite straightforward in my view. It doesn't right. always play out that way, but, you know, that's project management. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, but I have analysts in my team. When do I know that a, a cloud project isn't going to fit on a Gantt chart anymore? Isn't that just them on a spreadsheet? Isn't that enough for me? I think you've got to look at the objectives of the business. You know, if you've got sprawl in your IT uh, function and... Say, for example, we take a public cloud entity uh, with a number of customers coming to us, so I need to get out of public cloud. I need private cloud or hybrid cloud. I need that capability to get a public, but I want to, I want that control back. Having the, the bleed and the analysts say, well, you're, you're going to do this and you're never going to achieve within a certain timescale is all well and good. But if you've got another part of the business that says the key objective is to save the money and get out of cloud, actually, it taking a bit longer and it not fitting on that gun chart is immaterial because you're looking at the objectives from the business perspective then. So the analyst, yes, that's good, valuable information. It's not going to fit the timeframes. But ultimately, the decision comes back to the business. And again, it comes back to identifying those stakeholders and who owns that objective, that deliverable ultimately. Yes, the technical solution is one thing, but the business is where the buck stops. So it might not fit on the Gantt chart today, but as long as we've got that good communication and we can say, well, you are going to achieve those objectives and save those millions or whatever it might be. There's your information. You can make those decisions. Do we or do not proceed? And as I highlighted in my own uh, internal discussions, it's around the delivering within those tolerances and then escalating outside of those tolerances into the stakeholders and the, the decision makers, if you will, rather sure. than just being isolated. So if we lead on from that into, into Craig's critical success factors for oh, cloud wow. projects, <laughs> how does that sound? <laughs> Sounds scary. Critical success. I think um, for me, above everything else is um, the communications. For me, that's, that's critical success. Um, second to that, refined requirements. We can go to the nth degree, uh, and that's all well and good, but I think if we have 
in, in the infrastructure world, a very clear idea, we are going to deliver X, Y, Z, we deliver X, Y, and Z. The standard looks like this, and we've got a test procedure that looks like that. That's your success criteria right there, mapped out quite distinctly. And you can follow the same approach to a degree with software and the customization elements on a known set of requirements. You will deliver X capability or some element of performance or a measurable metric, if you will, or even if you've got software, for example, the delivery is deemed a success on it won't contain less than 10 bugs. It won't contain more than more than 10 bugs, sorry. Less than 10 bugs. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the other way around. Um, those are stated facts. Those are measurable. You can deliver that. Getting that set up. They can change. Absolutely can change. So communication and a good set of requirements as a baseline. Understanding, so the third thing for me, and I would say top three, the understanding that this project is about change. Not just change for the business, but change for everybody involved in that project. Things will change. Nothing's perfect. We are trying to deliver, and we're doing to the best of the ability, given the information we've got. So let's get away from the idea that we're going to deliver the nth degree from the requirements we were given on day one. The likelihood is they're going to change. Let's be aware of it and accommodate those as they come along. And that ultimately will result in a happy customer. And we've seen it time and time again, and that's why we get a lot of repeat business, because we're explicit in our requirements, we're open and communicative with the customer, and we're accepting of the fact that things do change. Sure. Okay, good. Craig's top three critical success factors in cloud mm. projects. You heard it here first. What about the other side of the coin? What are the key pitfalls that, that you've seen either here or past lives or other organizations that have led to projects going off the right? I think um, misset expectations is, is number one in that list. Um, and again, I guess it comes back to those three things I just discussed about what you consider in success criteria. And it could be an easy answer for me to just say, well, the negative response to those three is, is what causes things to fail. But the expectations being set about what's possible, and that starts from the very first conversation. Somebody's already discussing with us about what we can deliver for them. They're already discussing that because they know us, they trust us, or they've been referred. And that's, you know, that's a good, solid starting point. Let's move that on and have that explicitly mapped so that we've got some reasonable expectation being set that isn't wild. We're not there to deliver the moon on a stick. We all know it doesn't exist. But let's talk through with the customer what it is they're trying to achieve. I guess you know we can play the five whys out and we can be you know, using very explorative measures to gauge what's going on with the customer's mindset. The five whys? What do you mean so we just keep asking why and we'll get to a root cause as to why it is that that problem exists for them and that will bear out some of the answers in terms of what expectation we can set in the delivery mechanism and what products we'll deliver in order to achieve the objectives. So right, it's, it's really getting to the nub. There's always more to be had. It's never the first, you know, the answer is never the first uh, response from the customer. Right. So if you were to give me an example of, of the five whys in practice, if I said, I find that my ops team aren't responsive enough for my web dev team. The simplistic approach is, why, why don't you find that? What's, what's wrong with that? And you can say, well, you know, my ops dev is slow. Well, why is it slow? Well, you know, they're using antiquated hardware. Well, 
you know, using techniques that are out there. And why are they using that? Well, it's because we can't afford or we can't justify the expenditure to bring these new systems in. Why can't you? There's a, oh, we're using a CapEx model, but if we get a cloud, we can maybe get OpEx and we can use DevOps. Why? Why is that? Well, DevOps is the new this. And you kind of explain and you just have that engagement and you get to a level and a depth where they trust you because you're asking. The why question is simple, but when you follow it up with the, I've got some technical knowledge or I've got some history and experience or we've got a case study or a customer that we've done this with before, the level of trust is built very rapidly. You get trust with them, but you also trust what they're telling you is what they need. So when you lay that down to contracts and have that expectation written in blood, if you will, you know, it's, it's got good standing. And I think that helps set the tone for the entire project. Everything else after that is, I wouldn't say immaterial, but it's set quite nicely that you've got that straight from one. And what sort of trends are you seeing in, in the way that, that clients are approaching their projects? I think there's a lot of, in terms of cloud, everything's now software defined. And that's a challenge for a lot of organizations because it's wholesale shift. It's as it was 10 years ago, moving into virtualization. You know, we're not talking about big gray boxes set on business parks anymore with a lot of hardware in. We are, but what's in that hardware really makes a difference now. We've spoken to data center providers whose mind shift is, well, we didn't really care before, but now we do because our footprint isn't increasing because we've got software that allows people to use much more compute in a much more efficient manner. That has changed not just from the hypervisor side of things. Now, we now see that in storage. We now see it in networking. The use of DevOps and microservices and that kind of trending that we're seeing, it's very bleeding edge at the moment, but it won't be long. The, the industry moves so quickly that it will become mainstream. Um, you know, hypervisor took 10 years, but effectively, if you look back to where the mainframe was, kind of the same thing. The premise was set a long time ago. Software-defined networking and storage is, is just hand-in-hand hand with hypervisors. You eliminate the three core elements of the compute model, if you will. Layer that with the DevOps. That's the trend right there. And the customers want that because they see that being them able to do what they do as a business, you know, be it retail or government or um, you know, uh, energies markets, that kind of thing. If they could be more flexible in spinning up, spinning down, being elastic, moving sideways, getting out to other regions quickly. That allows them as a business to be much more agile. And that's where they want to be competitive. You know, we've seen it time and time again, especially with the retail sector. Margins are low. They have to be more forward thinking. So they're looking to take risks and they're not as big as they used to be. It's not like, you know, you're not committing to the footprint of bricks and mortar anymore. Software is a lot easier to manipulate a lot easier to discard if it doesn't work for you. Right. And thinking about the delivery of these projects, what are some of the methodologies? So traditional waterfall um, still follows the lines of Prince 2. Um, and I call that out predominantly because everybody knows that it's, it's quite a linear pathway. And for, it's and for those scalable. who don't know Prince very well. Um, so projects in controlled environments, it was a government initiative around 15 years ago or thereabouts, based from the UK. The project's been delivered a highly complex, massive cost value with very clear objectives, but very complex measures to achieve them. 
So there needed to be a, a good model in order to manage a number of people, stakeholders, internal and external, to get those objectives met. So Prince2 is a de facto standard, uh, certainly in the UK, Western world, and in, in kind of the APAC region, certainly Australia and New Zealand. Great places to be. <laughs> so here, although to be fair, we're in the UK. On the <laughs> and this is true, and this is also a wonderful place to be. Indeed, it's got to be that good you, you came over, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so, so Prince2. Um, in terms of waterfall, absolutely. Linear right. projects, A to B, quite well-known quantifiable requirements and a, a very clear forward path to achieve that. Sat within that and sat at the end, as we discussed earlier, is this agile, iterative project management response to what is software development effectively, but we are talking about customization. And I try and use customization as a descriptive term for this rather than software dev because it covers all the bases. So we could be talking monitoring reports, for example, or we could be talking DevOps and automation and orchestration within the cloud platform, if you will. Those two aren't mutually exclusive. You can sit them side by side and you can even sit agile within Waterfall, which is really nice because you can play the project at its own pace, depending on what you're doing. So you can run uh, an install and have the discussions around requirements, teeing you up, ready to go for the iterative side. They play out really nicely. The Agile side of things is is interesting because a lot of where projects used to be Prince2 or Waterfall-based, people are seeing Agile as a way to deliver quicker with, I'd say, less error because there's a, an onus on the testing cycles with that. There's much more kind of consideration to the whole life cycle of the project rather than being testing, oh, that's down the road. Actually, with Iterative, you're doing it on the fly all the time. And it's quite a, a nice mode of operation. And it aligns with certainly where the ops side of things comes in with DevOps. Those guys are coders already. So they know iterative cycles. They know what sprints look like. Actually, getting them on board is a lot easier than it would be maybe to speak to some of the traditional infrastructure guys and getting them on board in a project where you might be considered to be doing displacement work, which is always a challenge. Right. So if we drill into those guys, mm -hmm. what if they're not on board? I'm running my team. I can see where I want to go. Maybe I've got an external party and a consultancy you know, such as Extrovert and things aren't going as quickly as I would like. Maybe I feel like the, um, the stages haven't been hit. Maybe some, uh, some gates have been missed. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to me to bring the team back on track? I think as, as if, I, if I were advising you as a project manager, um, key is to look at the objectives from the business. Ultimately, that's the reason why the project exists. The project is a temporary structure by definition, and we're there to provide products in order to achieve business objectives. It's pretty straightforward in that respect. What you need to try and do is identify that this isn't necessarily a threat to them. It's actually an enabler. The world is moving forward and it always has done. And we look at the trends in the projects as we've just discussed, and those are skills that can easily, and I use that term quite carefully, be picked up. They're transitional skills. So where you may have a guy today that's doing, say, for example, networking. Well, we're not going to displace him. We still need a networking guy, but actually it's really straightforward. If we give you the transition skills into the virtualized world, you can do virtualized networking. Your job hasn't gone away. There's no issue there. We're helping you move that forward. And actually, part of project management is a de-risk approach. And if we bring you on board, you're de-risking it as part of that organization because you are the customer. You're part of that user stakeholder group. You're not the supplier. So actually having you on board is key. So that's at a project level. 
subsequent to that, then obviously there's discussions to be had around, well, maybe I'll speak to the business and get a bit more steer or a bit more guidance from them, and they can articulate as to what it means to them as a business. Subsequently, you as an employee, more than likely, in that stakeholder group as a, as a user. Right, makes sense. What are the main failure points in cloud projects? And I know you've touched on some of these, but if you were to just give a grab bag list of failure points that need to be thought about when embarking on projects, and when bringing the team in, particularly the management team, and, and preparing to embark on a project. I think it's the acknowledgement that there's two very distinct modes of project. One is this, this agile thing that now exists. And you need to start thinking about that early. People don't want to because they see that's customization work and it happens at the end of the project. But it's like with anything, in project terms anyway. It's all about the planning. If for me as a project manager, I had 90% of the time to plan the job, I probably could achieve it in 10% of the time overall. However, that's not reality. Don't, you know, no, there's no perfect world in that respect. So having, having the acknowledgement that there is that complication and you need to start identifying how you currently do things, or if you can identify how you currently do things and they're not working for you, how do you want them to work? You've got an opportunity to transition and transform how you do business as an IT function. So that's, that's categorically number one. I think given the complexity of what we're talking about in wholesale transformation and its software-defined data center, if we just strip out the software bit, it's data center. So that is still the hardware that you run the entire platform and that still counts for something. So you have to be mindful of everything that goes on under that. You then have to think about the hypervisor. You then have to think about the platform and the other strategic solutions that underpin that. So we're not just talking about a few select tools. And there isn't just one guy that knows it all. There is still a team. So appreciating you need to pull a number of individuals together. And it's expensive. You know, when you built your first data center, you didn't do it overnight. You didn't do it in a few weeks. And you didn't do it with two or three guys. So it's the same approach. That is, I think, one of the, the biggest challenges organizations face is they don't realize how much manpower is required to get this done technically and from the business. We talked about analysts earlier. They're key. Because if you are going to automate, if you are going to orchestrate and talk about vending and self-service um, portals and transforming the way you consume IT services, you need service function owners in the business to find how it is they want things to be done so that you can position it correctly. And then what? And the what is the open-ended question that drives all the discussions. And that's, that's something that takes time. You're not going to get everybody in one go. They've got a day job to do. And... You're not going to find the person with the right skills necessarily today because they might be on another project. These projects don't happen in six months. Traditionally, I'm seeing this last 18 to 24 months. And I think that would be reasonable as an expectation, we talked about expectation earlier, to have that set and understood because you didn't build your first data center in six. It took time and you're effectively doing the same thing over again. But this time, those promises where all these big software vendors said, oh yeah, we've got all this cool automation technology you can do stuff with, and you can give approval processes and relinquish yourself as an IT function, and you can go and do the cool stuff you want to do and give, enable, you know, empower the user. That's now the distinct reality, but it doesn't happen overnight. One good example I gave to a customer, they said, give me AWS. I want a hybrid cloud, but give me AWS. That's, that's the kind of functionality I want. So we played out the kind of discussion we're having now, and the key point I made was, it's okay to ask for AWS. That's not a problem. That can be delivered. But Amazon started 20 years ago. Not an overnight success. 
it has taken time and it takes a lot of effort to get there. I'm not saying your cloud is going to take 20 years to get to, but you need to consider that in terms of scale. It isn't just going to happen tomorrow. And I think once you get over that barrier of time, it really helps sort of set the stone that you've got a relationship to build and you've got a journey to go on. And we at Extra talk about journey quite a lot. But actually, it's very true. You know, this isn't a case of the here and now. This is about where you want to be three years down the time and how three years down the line and how you want your IT to function in your business. Brilliant. Thank you very much. More than welcome. Been, been really helpful. Good stuff. Until next time. Indeed. That brings us to the end of another episode of Cloud Insiders. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And to find out more and access show notes and downloads, head over to cloudinsiders.fm. You can track us on Twitter at Cloud Insiders, and we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. See you next time. This episode was brought to you by Extrovert, trusted independent consultants for data center, workspace, and cloud transformation. For help solving complex IT challenges and unlocking the full potential of your technology, head over to extrovert.com.